Hey everyone, welcome to MCU Fan Show episode 297. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman for our spoiler review of Loki, season two, episode five, Science Slash Fiction, directed by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, written by Eric Martin. Loki was created for television by Michael Waldron, and it is a Kevin Feige production. Before we begin our latest spoiler review, want to let you know about Fan Show Plus. That is a podcast that is exclusive to premium subscribers at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Also on Apple Podcasts via Apple Podcast subscriptions. You can find those episodes and subscribe in the same place where you see this feed where you get these episodes if you're listening to them on Apple Podcasts. So you can check those out there. And that's where we talk about extra MCU topics like Loki first impressions right now. Also big MCU news like the article, the Crisis at Marvel article from Variety this week. There's a big episode on Fan Show Plus breaking down all of that information and where Marvel goes from here. So make sure you check that out again on Apple Podcasts or at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. Also, please follow along in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. It really does make a difference. So thank you so much to everyone who has already taken the time to share their review. And now, on with our show. How you doing, Paul Herman? I am doing well with my uh, brand new Miss Minutes Funko Pop that I got uh, the other day. That I I have been eyeing that thing. Uh, just full, really quickly, I live by the Funko like official headquarters like store, and uh, I've gone in there many many times since moving here, and I've like I've seen it on the bottom like they'll have like the the deluxe Funkos on the bottom like of the of the displays. And I kept seeing the Miss Minutes, and I'm like, you know, this is after four season two, and I'm like, I like Miss Minutes, but I don't love Miss Minutes like that, right? Well, after season two, I'm like, I love Miss Minutes that way, so I had to buy her, and uh, she, I'm, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I, I pulled the trigger when I did because uh, it's, it's a little expensive for you know a Funko Pop, but it, to be honest, it fits. It, it fits like she fits the perfect, like I hate to say mold, but the, the, she's a perfect fun co pop to have because you don't need to have her you know, have be you know, articulate, you know, you know, or five points of articulation. It's sure. a perfect, like it's a perfect like size. And I'm not paid by Funko, obviously. I wish we were, obviously, Sean. But we're yeah, Funko by them. is just benefiting from free advertising right now. Yeah, I, I ain't gonna lie, guys. I ain't, everyone, I ain't gonna lie. Like this is a, it's it's a little spendy, but if you're a fan of Loki, like especially this season, uh, yeah, it's a, it's an automatic purchase for me. And I, I, it's right now hanging up next to. You'll like this, Sean. It's right next to. It's in the media room. And uh, that's where I'm at. Thank God it's warmer here. Uh, I have Miss Minutes, my phase one Blu-ray set case of the shield. Uh, nice. Case, right? And then I have an Ant-Man helmet. It's all on the window windowsill. So good, good MCU vibes in the in the in the media room where I'm recording today. Very nice. Yeah. The yeah. Miss Minutes Funko is tempting so far. I have been able to resist. We'll see how much longer that lasts. And I can certainly understand. I mean, the character Got to take on a whole new life, and we found out all kinds of things about Miss Minutes over the course of season two. Although, other than a pre-programmed graphic, we don't see Miss Minutes reappearing in this fifth episode of Loki. But I was thinking about this as I was recording the first impressions episode 
on Fan Show Plus, thinking aloud because I was recording, Paul. But this episode of Loki might be, I mean, it's certainly one of, but then in the argument for the most anticipated mid-season Marvel Studios Disney Plus episode, I have to throw in all the baseball statistic qualifiers as much as I can to really narrow down that field. But if we're not talking about a season or series premiere or even potentially a season or series finale, it's not usually at this point in a season where we are left completely bewildered and wondering just what exactly is going to happen next. But that was the feeling amongst many feelings coming out of the fourth episode last week. So no doubt there was a lot of anticipation for this one, certainly speaking for myself and I presume many others. But Paul, I'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this episode. I know we're going to hear all of each other's thoughts on this episode. There's a lot to get into, but I thought that this uh, was a really, a really bold creative choice to structure and pace the episode the way that they did. Because I think that while things do start off a, a little bit fast paced, then they they slow down and kind of stay along those lines to be very introspective, very contemplative throughout most of the episode, which is not necessarily where you just automatically think they're going to go to as the immediate follow-up to a massive cliff, uh, cliffhanger at the end of the fourth episode. Maybe you're expecting to just continue on with this fast, furious pace all the way up until the finale, but no, they really do take a minute or several minutes. They take a beat in this episode, take a breath, and really allow us to focus a little bit more on these characters in a completely different setting, in a completely different context. So this isn't necessarily the way we would immediately assume, or one may assume, that things were going to go. And as I said, I think it's a bold creative choice because it is a little more unexpected from how somebody might just automatic, where their brain might be leading them following an episode like we saw last week. But I think it really worked. I think it was a big swing to do it this way. But in my estimation, it paid off. What did you think? Yeah, I'm going to be very clear when I say this. And, and this is this is obviously without seeing the the finale. But I think whoever is in charge of uh, Loki, I think creatively from a story standpoint and, and head writer this season and writer of this episode, Eric Martin, they need they be in Marvel need to invest in and this person like they did previously with um, McFeely and the other guy's name. I'm totally forgetting. Christopher Marcus, writers. Stephen McFeely. And I, I totally agree. Mm-hmm. I brought this up. Boy, the, the shameless plugs are everywhere. I brought this up on Fanshow Plus as a quick aside, just looking at mm-hmm. some of the things going on with Marvel and maybe just throwing out other people to really look at as and maybe help shape things as they move forward and maybe reshape some things from plans that Marvel Studios had, depending on what they are or are not reworking, Eric Martin, to me, has really emerged as a creative star behind the scenes here in the MCU. And it's not all him. There are directors, of course, uh, Aaron Moorhead, Justin Benson, who directed some episodes of Moon Knight, and they're also going to be directing some of the episodes of Daredevil Born Again. So obviously, their stars are rising within the Marvel Cinematic Universe but Eric Martin is somebody who, you know, created for television, Michael Waldron for Loki, head writer for the first season. But remember, Michael Waldron went to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, wasn't on set. So the lead writer on set for the first season of Loki 
and then having the full head writer duties from start to finish for Loki season two. That was Eric Martin. And I would suffice to say, in my opinion, and clearly yours, Paul, this is somebody who is an outstanding storyteller who should be telling more stories in the MCU. Yes. And I, you know, we'll get into the details here, but I, after watching this episode and reading that article, you know, I almost call it a hit piece, not quite a hit piece, but it definitely comes off in that in some ways. Um, in the article in Variety, I'm just going to say right now that I think that I've seen enough from this this person that we need we we need to see more of him in control of other things other than Loki because we're he's telling a story, a great a great great story with great themes using the Marvel characters in unique ways that are not just your run of the mill Loki centric things. And season one had great moments and, and season one is way better. I've, I've said it before than, you know, than I, I remember the first time this season's hitting me even harder and it's not even giving me the true Loki like yeah, stuff. And that is a testament and a credibility, a great credit to, you know, uh, Eric Martin. And I, I just wanted to really emphasize that, you know, the Marvel, the phase one to me or the Infinity Saga was was built upon great creatives being a part of the universe and having their say and be able to work within that universe, but really telling and, and explaining who they are. And I feel that Loki season two feels like it. It, maybe I'm giving too much credit to this, but it well, feels and, but they like they were growing as to your point. They were also growing as storytellers into like exactly. just as storytellers with their career, their craft, but also growing within the MCU and allowing exactly. the characters to grow alongside them. So you're you're totally right there. So I it, so I'm going to I'm going to give this comparison. It's not a one for one, but it feels like that same kind of thing. It feels like volume one where we're getting like a really unique take on these characters or the, or the Marvel universe in Marvel cinematic universe, if you will. And it feels like it's going to be a lot different after it's over. And that this person, this creative force is going to be given more leeway and more strength and, and, and to build upon because they've shown so much already. Like, we, like, and, and no Marvel's got, we got Shang-Chi and then that director's doing, you know, he's doing Wonder Man. He's also doing, you know, King Dynasty, and so we're doing that again, which is great. We have that previously with John Favreau, you know, mm -hmm. Tyke, James Gunn, the, many different things. But Eric Martin feels like more of this, more of that, where it's a fresh take, fresh ideas, and isn't embarrassed of the material and embraces, you know, and it has such a unique look and feel for this that it, it's keeping Marvel fresh. And it, again, I just want to see more of it. I would love to see more of that. I would love to know. Eric Martin's thoughts and level of interest in Dr. Doom is all I would say is I would be very curious in Eric Martin's interest in a character Ooh. like that, which you and I have talked about before as something we would love to see as a Disney Plus series to launch that character. And I know maybe Disney Plus is not going to be the vehicle for some of this stuff that it used to be. Certainly Marvel is not going to do as much on Disney Plus, but they're still going to be doing plenty in this format. But also Eric Martin, in my view, is also right there ready to if the interest is there on his part to go start writing movies for Marvel Studios, whatever he's interested in, let him go for it. Because I feel like there's the the talent is is very, very apparent. The level of care is very apparent. Um, just the, the quality of the work 
is right there. And it's not all him. It's not just him. Of course not. But as the head writer, obviously a, a key central creative component to the success of this series. And week by week, it just continues to be a very successful series. And let's go ahead and start off with uh, where we began this episode, finally going ahead and, and getting into the specifics here. I thought, Paul, for an episode that did take things in a very different and perhaps unexpected direction, did a really good job with the ominous music that played over the Marvel Studios logo and then the all-white screen and you hear the kind of the big blast of the temporal meltdown that we were seeing because for an episode that's maybe going to try to put us at, at ease, not quite at ease, but make us feel like we could be, that's not the headspace they put us in immediately. They kept us, and just in case you were wondering what your feelings were at the end of episode four, let us use the music and these initial visuals and sounds to very quickly remind you of, oh, wait, everything's falling apart before we toss you this lifeline of, oh, guess what? Loki is still here. But just in case you're starting to wonder that maybe because Loki's still with us, that everything's all right. No, it's not, because the siren is blaring throughout the TVA. We're hearing over the PA system talks about a fail-safe mode. Oh, and also that issue from the first episode with Loki time-slipping, that's back, except now in this episode, instead of being a problem, it's going to be the means of a solution. And as we're starting to see Loki continue time-slipping, it's very different than it was last time. I mean, in essence, it's the same, but the time-slips now are, the intervals are all over the place. Also, as we'll see through the episode, it's not just slipping through time, it's moving through space. Where we see a time-slip, and I'm thinking, are we supposed to see this moment where Loki is there in the bullpen looking at the TVA handbook? No, we're not. We're going to see that three seconds from now because that was a, a very quick time slip into the future. That part I thought was very, uh, very interesting. But then also communicating the visual language of the episode and the, the broader application of it. So not just the demise of Victor Timely that we saw at the end of last week, but now we see what a larger scale spaghettification of an environment looks like as we see the TVA just literally coming apart and turning into spaghetti as we get a pre-programmed message from Miss Minutes, the thank you for your service message. And so this is all what we're getting before. And of course, it's going to let us know the, the danger of that visual that will, of course, be even more apparent as we progress through the episode. But all of this, Paul, I thought before even the opening title card of Loki I was just thinking as I was watching it, like, this is absolutely wild. Everything about this was so cool in the way of maintaining the feeling from the end of the last episode, but then progressing to how it's going to look and how it's going to feel moving forward in this episode. And also just giving a lot of questions. I mean, real quick, just a visual note about spaghettification. I love how this is simultaneously trippy and terrifying. Usually it doesn't feel that way. Things are just scary or things are just weird. Weird and scary at the same time, I felt with the way the spaghettification looked. So great job by the, the design of that, the VFX team. Uh, that was all very well done. But then also because we're seeing spaghettification and we're hearing about a fail-safe mode, what is the nature of all this spaghettification? Like, is this all just temporal radiation that happens no matter what. Is this part of the fail-safe uh, fail mode? Is he who remains still somehow connected to or behind this? Or is it really that all of time and space just completely comes apart if there is no TVA? That, that existence at this point now relies on, existence for everything now relies on there still being the TVA and a temporal loom 
and whatever else. So lots of questions uh, kicked off in the the very beginning of this episode. Just a, a real exciting continuation of the the cliffhanger from the fourth episode before we get through the title and then we get a chance to kind of slow things down and focus a bit more on character. Yeah, this was and this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about where it you know Eric Martin and just giving us a lot of drama. And I love how everything is empty and he's mm-hmm. walking around by himself. And then you see he's watching, you see him looking at somebody else like, who is that? And then I'm like, oh, it's himself. And then how it's in that they're going back to the whole paradox or, you know, the whole time travel thing where you see yourself. And mm-hmm. I, I just it's it's done in such a way where because you're emphasizing, I think there's a lot of things going on here. And I don't want to go too de- too far in this. So bear with me. But. It, you're emphasizing how he's alone mm-hmm. and that he's feeling like there's, there's like, I, I, what am, how am I going to do this? You're, you're, you're doing that all, you're emphasizing all that by having these really cool moments of, of like, he's by himself yep. going down these corridors. I love, again, you're building that you're, you're going and making sure that the audience is like really feeling the loneliness aspect. Then you see somebody, you're like, oh, who is it? Oh my God, what? It's Loki? It's like you're you're, you're reminding us of how insane everything is while also re-emphasizing how alone he is where he only sees himself. It's really brilliant, mm-hmm. to be honest. And I, I was really impressed with that because I'm like, dang, like they are going hard on this and I'm feeling it. I'm like, I'm feeling the isolation, you know, with the alarm going on. There's, It, it gives me shades of like alien you know, a little bit like obviously, she's, you know, Ripley's fighting an alien, but like she's by herself and she has like the thing going on and she's all alone. Yeah. And it just you're emphasizing that like she's trying to get off the ship, trying to get off the ship so, so badly. And it's just like adding all this tension. Yeah. It's and like it, it, it represents the question that Loki is starting to learn to ask himself at the end of the episode. Who am I? And yeah, and, there's yeah, no exactly. better time, but also slash more uncomfortable time to focus on that question of who am I than when you are all by yourself. And yeah, and, it's, yeah. it's it's a really great, to your point, it's a great visual representation of really kind of the, the realization that Loki's going to come to by the end of the episode. Not that everything is fully realized by the end of the, end mm-hmm. of the episode, but he takes a key step forward at the end of the episode emotionally on his journey. And how do you set that up? It's with a visual like this. I mean, obviously scenes where he gets to talk it out more throughout the episode, but as far as introducing that, um, as you said, Paul, I totally agree with you, Paul. Like, this is the perfect visual way to kick that off. Yeah. And so I think that when you're he, the show is giving us this great visual aid. And again, this is why visual medium. I love the visual medium with comics or even film that, you know, or TV or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Uh, that th- you're these, these extra um, things you do. They subconsciously bring you into that point of isolation. and You don't even realize it because you're so wrapped up. You're watching Loki, but it really it does lure you in with that again that lure word i I brought again so yeah i love love this opening scene yeah it was awesome and then when we get past the loki title card then we are taken to san francisco 1962 on a branched timeline in alcatraz and we see a familiar face casey who in this branch timeline uh, which presumably before the tva we're going to travel around to basically all branch timelines now throughout this episode with Loki time slipping slash time and space moving. And I think the intention here, I'm I'm guessing, is that, yes, these are the versions of these characters who were taken by the TVA, um, who did unwittingly had their lives taken away from them or or that they left behind when their memories were wiped and all of that stuff. So that's why these are all 
branch timeline. So here on this branch timeline, Casey is Frank making his escape. Also keep an eye out for his fellow prisoners aiding him in this escape, participating in the escape. They are uh, credited as Clarence and John Anglin, played respectively by our episode directors, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson. And then Loki time slips to this place, this uh, this time and this location, and meets Casey slash Frank, who, of course, has no idea who Loki is. And just as far as this subverting expectations, Paul, there's not a whole lot here. It's a very quick scene, but it also tells you a lot about Casey or Frank, his life on the timeline that you would not have necessarily expected. Sweet, lovable, gullible, naive Casey doesn't even know what a fish is. Um, now he's somebody who uh, is, of course, imprisoned at Alcatraz. And given what they show Casey doing and what him him wanting to use a temp pad to rob bank vaults, for example, the implication here is that um, Casey was not wrongfully imprisoned. He did, or Frank did whatever he whatever he was there at, at Alcatraz for. So not necessarily what you expected, but it also challenges you with that notion as a viewer, as an audience member of obviously we never could have known what to expect or assume from any of these characters and their lives on the timeline because we never got a chance to know who they were and, and neither did they. Yeah, this that was a very interesting creative choice because it, it goes against the idea of what Casey is like you're saying. But you're also, I think, setting up the ideas of the multiverse and and how they're chosen, mm-hmm. and just and what 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 that means exactly. It it's it puts into question where everyone is. What's the word? It, the whole free will aspect, yeah. right? Well, I presume that also these moments that Loki is slipping to are somewhere close to the point where they probably veered off of the sacred timeline to where these became branches and when these characters mm. were taken. They don't spell that out, that that's exactly the timing of how this is happening. That's just me interpreting it that way, and I may be totally wrong. But the way I'm kind of looking at it is like right at that moment where they otherwise would have been taken without a choice, now Loki is there potentially to give them a choice. Not that he's even fully aware at this point in the episode that that's what he's doing or that's what he's hoping to do. I'll have more to say on that as the episode goes on. But that was just kind of how I took it. But then also, metaphorically, the whole idea of being imprisoned and, and breaking out, obviously, is a symbol for these people who these characters yeah. who've been breaking out of the control and the restrictions of the TVA. Yeah, no, exactly. I I, I do think that it was an interesting uh, all these people's, you know, except for one. We'll get to that that, that person in a second. But um, I, I think all I think most of these people where they are is very interesting. Uh, to be honest, like like kind of you said, it definitely kind of takes us in a different route, and where the branches come from, like or where they where they where they deviate from their personal selves. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's an interesting. That's a good point. So yeah, I, this was a. I was surprised by this, but I thought it was it was it was a cool like. Uh, to me, I, I read it. I read it as like you know everyone's version of themselves is going to be vastly different. And I think Victor Timely is a great example of that, too. Except you know, uh, OB and Mobius are not that different. Well, um, well, well, we'll, we'll some, get to that. And some similarities there. But uh, anyway, time yeah, keeps yeah. on slipping, and so does Loki. He goes, we see him in front of a McDonald's in Broxton, that we recognize for Broxton, Oklahoma, in 1982 on a branch timeline. Then he quickly appears in front of Piranha Power Sport. We'll find out why momentarily. Then he's back at the TVA inside Time Theater 25. And then... It's New York, New York, 2012, on a branch timeline where we meet B-15, who on this branch timeline 
is Dr. Willis. A little bit of a comic book Easter egg there for a character of Verity Willis, daughter of Roger Willis, a family tasked with protecting the casket of ancient winters. That was the weapon that the Frost Giants were trying to take back in the very first Thor film back in 2011. But also, Dr. Willis being there, New York, New York, New York 2012. Now, this is a branched timeline, but presumably she's around for the Battle of New York, although Battle of New York happened in 2012. Is this before or after the Battle of New York? We don't really know. But a funny line in there as she's putting a cast on uh, on this kid and telling her uh, the message about remembering the pain of that to you know not do it again. But just in case the cast isn't enough of a reminder, the message of don't climb trees a really funny message based when we're talking when all of these characters are in very precarious positions on branches of these various timelines or branches of the sacred timeline. So I just thought that was funny as a quick little aside there for that character. I do wish, though, in this episode, and this will come up again a little bit later on. I think that B-15, so much work has been done with this character and Wumi Masaku as the actor playing this character has done such an outstanding job that I do feel like B-15's life on the timeline. And I mean, we had the, the tease of that where she thought she, when we didn't see the life, we saw her seeing her life when Sylvie showed it to her. And we hear that line from uh, from the episode earlier uh, from last season where B-15 looked like, thought she looked like she was happy. And we see that. Uh, we see her being happy at this point in the timeline. But I, I understand why they focused more on Mobius and Sylvie but also in an episode that had a, a little bit of a shorter runtime relative to this season, I felt like an extra minute or two could have been devoted to B-15. And maybe it was, and it just didn't, whatever they filmed didn't work, and it, it's on the cutting room floor somewhere. I'm not sure, but I'm fine with her as Dr. Willis. I do think it's interesting. I just wish it had more opportunities to be interesting by expanding on her life a little bit. Yeah, I, I really liked the seeing this because I think, I, she's the first one I think we see of the of the people besides I'm sorry yeah besides yeah, Casey. we go we go Casey then we Casey, go B15 yeah Casey was kind of weird I didn't know they were going with it but when they went to B15 that's what it was when they went to uh B15 that's when um I was totally um more realizing okay I see where they're going with this like there's different versions of the characters and but they're they're going to be somehow connected with Loki because he's you know they're they're showing us two different people. But I really like seeing B fifteen in the, in this way because again, you, to your point, Sean, they're they're still there themselves, but different like versions of themselves in a sense of where their characteristics are still there. Because Casey is 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 a, is a thinker. He's always, you know, figuring things out, trying right. to like, you know, you know, so him breaking out of prison is a great indication of his character, you know, who he is. And he's character. clearly the one leading the prison and, breakout, right? Right. And he's the mastermind of the whole breakout. So again, he's the mastermind tech or not tech guy, but again, the guy who's the engineer of the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. B-15. What, who is she? She's a doctor. She's helping people. And that's the whole thing. Like she convinces, you know, she's helping, you know, people. Uh, in the previous episodes where that one lady was like, you know, I, I believe you, you talked me into this. So she's all about, you know, facilitating and helping right. bring people together. Doctor, I like that a different variation of that, but that's still who she is as a character. Um, and then you know, as so on. So I liked, so getting those two things back to back, I went, Oh, okay. Again, great writing without hitting us over the face with everything. But it's and it's also like interesting, like where is this all going to connect? How is it all going to connect? 
Yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, I, I do, again, just one little nitpick there of could have had more with B-15, but overall, definitely like the idea that she is a doctor, not because of the comic book Easter egg of it all, which I don't actually expect to really go anywhere because they don't spend a lot of time spelling that out in the episode itself. But I, I think that I do like the idea of her as a healer, you know, and somebody who's also kind of tasked with being amongst the group that heals the not broken arm, the broken time variance authority. So I maybe a little on the nose, but it fits. And I, I really do like it a lot for for her. And then as Loki slips to Cleveland, Ohio, you would swear before they show it to you based on the music, based on the cheesy background of the next shot that we see, you would swear that this is set in the 1980s or maybe early 1990s, an era that you feel Mobius just must have belonged in and been a huge, huge part of, maybe in his youth, but that's not what's happening now. This is Cleveland, Ohio, 2022, on a branch timeline where we meet Mobius on his jet ski or Sea-Doo. His name is Don. He's trying to sell a Sea-Doo to a dirt bike enthusiast played by the director of photography for much of this season, including this episode, Isaac Bauman. And uh, also when uh, the customer is more in the mood for a dirt bike, he talk, he describes the jet ski as the the personal watercraft as the thinking man's dirt bike. That was a really funny line. But Mobius, like Casey, and really, Mo, uh, Loki wasn't around long enough to register for B-15 slash Dr. Willis, but Mobius slash Don, just like Casey slash Frank, has no recollection of Loki because how would he? This is him on a branch timeline, not as the Mobius who lived his life in the TVA, with that being the only life he ever knew. But we also get a little bit of backstory here. Uh, very quickly, we learn that Mobius or Don has two sons. He is a single dad. And then before there can be much conversation for Loki to try and recruit Mobius, he slips away to the next spot, to the next uh, time slash place on a branch timeline. But for this scene here, Paul, first off, the jet ski component of this was exactly the moment that Mobius deserved. It was the moment that we deserved as fans that we have been building to. It was every bit as cheesy as it should have been. It's even funnier that he's such a huge fan of these personal watercraft in Cleveland, Ohio. He's not in a beach town, and then not necessarily not necessarily in the type of environment. He appears to be somewhat a little more landlocked there. Not that there's not water that can be found near Cleveland. It's there, but not exactly the area where you would think of. Certainly where there's a much longer off-season for personal watercraft. This is not the environment you would expect to find him in. Not even the time period you would necessarily expect to find him in but that's where he's at it's very funny i really loved it i also amazing shot speaking of uh the dp isaac bauman amazing shot of Loki. i mean it was there from the trailer but it's even funnier in the episode the shot lining up loki time slipping in with the wacky wavy inflatable arm flailing tube man was awesome the confusion of tva versus atv was really funny but also what's important here that's established from a character standpoint that will make a scene even better later on in the episode is Mobius has a life here and he loves it. He's not discouraged when the guy doesn't buy the jet ski. He's happy about, he's still happy to be there. He loves his job. He loves his kids. He loves the donuts that Dale brought in that day. Mobius is in fact, or Don is in fact, very, very happy 
with the life that he has here, which is what we would want for Mobius or Don, because we've, we've come to love them over these past several episodes. So this introduction to who Mobius was on this branch timeline was awesome. It even makes it even more curious, though, of this guy in this life, how could he possibly have veered off in on a different path and become part of a, uh, a branch timeline instead of the sacred timeline, although we did see in Miss Minutes explanation video way back in the first episode of the first season that it could be very, very random things that could cause that. Must have been random for Don to go on to become the Mobius we know in the TVA. Yeah, there was, um, I I love this. I mean, obviously, Owen Wilson's just a treasure. I'm a little bummed. I kind of wanted him to be named Mark because he was, uh, Mobius's character was based off Mark Grunewald. And I was hoping Mm. they'd name him that, but that's fine. It's whatever. It's it's fine. Um, I think Don's kind of perfect, but. It it, it, it works. Um, I I love, I love it. I love it. I, I will say. I didn't, and I read it differently. I read it meant just being like whatever. And and I think when I read this, and except for at the very end when he's talking about his boys, but we don't get too far ahead with that. But this whole thing just felt like Mobius's character is good in every situation. Like he'll make every situation the best. And again, that, that whole idea. True. Well, but I think he that, makes the best of it for himself too. Like he is. Yeah, exactly. He's an optimist. Yeah. He's He's a guy who chooses to be happy in the space that he's in. Yeah, and I think because they go out again, I don't want to get too far ahead. But they kind of go out of their way to show you that he's kind of struggling, you know, like, and he's still optimistic. And I think that yeah. to me was very interesting because that is very much him also in TVA. But that person, that personality is there. He's got a lot going against him. Wife left him. The kids are all over the place. His job's not going super great, but he's going to make things work somehow. Like yeah. that's. And that's all there. So yeah. that's. But I do cool think they still that. make it clear that, yeah, he's there are the nagging inconveniences and bigger things like his wife has left him and all of that. That's part of it. But it is important. I think it's important to establish for the character to that point, as you mentioned, though, and being making the best of any situation and making the best in any situation. I think that really speaks to the kind of person he is. But also, I do think that yeah. despite whatever whatever things he has that are inconvenient and not going as well in his life, there is a part of this guy that still very much loves a huge part of this guy that still very much loves and cares about the life that he has. And, and even though, yeah, his kids in some ways can be disappointing as we'll see a little bit more later on in the episode, he still of course loves them very much. And they are his chief concern, especially when it's the last moments before he thinks everything is coming to an end, which we get to later in the episode. But it, it, you had to show in short order, and I'll have more to say about this in a bit, just how much Mobius enjoys and cares about the life that he has. And I do feel like this scene established that. No, I 1000% I 1, agree with that. So then we slip to uh, we slip to Pasadena, California. So getting pretty close to my neck of the woods, not quite Pasadena, but close enough. Pasadena, California, 1994 on a branched timeline where we see OB, whose name we will find out is AD. OB is AD, AD Doug, PhD. He's there to pick up a copy of the Zartan contingent. And turns out that it won't scan at the register because it's not officially stocked in the store. No, he's trying to buy a book that he wrote and that he stocked in the store. And they don't like that he does that because apparently this is not a new thing that he is trying out for the first time. But he does at least put forth a defense about science fiction, saying that science fiction is a well-respected and thought-provoking genre. Here, here, I would also add that that still applies in 
superhero-based stories that may or may not fall into the genre of science fiction, this being one that clearly does. So appreciated that line from OB or AD. And then we cut to his lab, which is not totally unlike his workspace at the TVA. He is there on his own, very much isolated. We see a wall of uh, post-it notes. One of them has a series of questions on it. Who, what, when, where, why, with who circled. We'll find out exactly why it's been circled later on in the episode. And then as Loki catches up with OB or AD, he finally finds a believer. No, OB doesn't remember Loki because how could he? But he at least buys into it. One of his characters finally came, uh, came to life and is now joining him and needs his help. Just reminds him of another book he wrote, not the Zartan Contingent, but the Sons of Yorin. So turns out AD is a fairly prolific writer because he wants to, and he initially advertises this as the most popular book of all time, which is not correct, not true. Also, as far as being a writer, that is not how AD pays his bills. He does that by teaching theoretical physics. That's where the PhD comes from. And then they go through a little funny series about things that are impossible, which leads to a great line of, of if something is impossible, but don't let that stop you. I love that because AD makes the point that Loki already did something impossible by traveling through time in a place where there is no time. So if that impossible thing can be done, then it stands to reason that he may also be able to do another impossible thing like traveling to a place that doesn't exist anymore. That being the TVA before the meltdown of the temporal loom. And then AD makes a critical point here in that Loki has to learn how to control the time slipping but it shouldn't be impossible or even seen that way because he's already been doing it. And not only is he slipping through time, he's moving through sp- uh, through different points in space. And these are not random points because, oh, how convenient would it be for the storytelling if Loki had no control over this and he only just so happened to slip to these moments and in front of these people and be in these places that he would probably want to go anyway or need to go anyway. So right now, that control is more subconscious. It's not something that Loki has mastered, but it is a very important plot point. And the way they deliver the pseudoscience of this science slash fiction episode, I thought was all very well done. And Kihoi Kwan is just endlessly entertaining as OB or AD. And as OB also or AD points out, if Loki can can control the time slipping, that basically makes him a better and living version of a tempad. And as Loki's trying to figure out and they're going through the science of how they can do this, it's the questions of, what and how, as AD points out, uh, being questions of science, but fiction, it's all about why. And why does Loki need to save the TVA? He's going to explain that for Sylvie later on in the episode. But with that idea in his head, not communicating it to us, he gives it the old college try with his time slipping. Great job by Tom Hiddleston, just working all of that out physically. And uh, But it is to no avail. Neither is the shock or scare therapy that AD tries in that scene. What else can they do? That's when they come up with the plan of getting the band back together, get everyone together to read that collective temporal aura signature, to read it like coordinates, to get back to that moment at the TVA right before the temporal meltdown. But they're still going to need a temp pad since Loki can't control the time slipping yet, or at least doesn't have enough control over it. Thankfully, Loki in his pocket has a handbook to help OB go ahead and figure out how to build a temp pad connecting OB to AD. And all of this stuff, uh, as I mentioned before, branch timelines, I think establishes that these are, I think, probably pretty close to when everybody was taken by the TVA at various points. 
But I also think this scene is so great in illustrating how and why AD became OB and the role that he has played in the TVA. I think it is his technical know-how, obviously his background in theoretical physics, but it also is his belief in the impossible and not letting that stop you, that he is a champion of science, fiction, and science fiction, and impossible for, uh, for AD or OB. It's just the beginning of the conversation, never the end. And it's also a key scene for Loki in terms of his understanding of himself. What does he want? Why does he want that? And that starts pushing him towards that other question of who he is in conjunction with those things of what he wants and why he wants it. And then obviously a lot of funny stuff like AD, OB, treating it like the scientific method of like shock therapy didn't work and, and neither did, didn't trigger the fight or flight response with the, the scare tactic that he tried. This was just another great scene. I mean, they're just lining them up in all of these episodes, but especially uh, in this one here. Uh, fantastic scene that I think, as as you said, Paul, some scenes illustrate where maybe some characters have some similarities, but also a lot of differences between who they were, who they are in the branch timeline versus who they are in the TVA. But I think in the case of Don slash Mobius and AD slash OB, I think we're starting to see for some of these characters that they are very similar to who they were. And also who they were on the branch timeline is a huge part of what made them the right person for the role they had in the TVA and why they were so good in whatever their role was at the TVA. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's a there's great things here with with OB or AD or whatever you want to call them. And I, one thing is the I love the setup of the science fiction um, writer aspect mm-hmm. where he's like this. He he has all these. He has this huge imagination, and he just can't quite get the right like way to 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 channel that. And it's basically Loki gives him like a. a few things to to the navigate and that creative mind goes to work and i think he's just the he's the right mind to get those things and think outside because he's and that's what makes him like that creative force to be a writer Mm -hmm. but he's i love the fact that it's again he does need some direction it's just not he's he's just not quite there he's a brilliant mind because science has limitations and fiction doesn't Exactly. And I, I, I love that. I love it's a great moment. I love the set. The I love his little his little getaway, his little cave, if mm-hmm. you will. I love that. That was a great touch. And I don't know. It, he it, might it just, actually it, have more square footage there than he does in the TVA, though. He might have he might have downsized offices. I'm not sure. But it was massive. Might, yeah, he might have. Yeah, it was massive. It was cool. So I I love that. I mean, to me, OB has been the secret weapon of this show, man. Like, he has been just a fantastic character and he is a breath of fresh air. And I, and I, I said it last week, I'll say it again. This character has so much potential to go wrong and just, they couldn't have cast it better, man. Like seriously, it has been a delight to see OB come to life in the season for sure. Absolutely. And then we go from Pasadena, 1994 back to Cleveland or suburb of Cleveland in 2022 we are back there with Mobius. We find out his two sons. One of them is named Kevin, who plays with matches that he stole. And then there's Sean, who is sent there to look after Kevin. They didn't credit the kids with the put the names in the credits. So I don't know if it's spelled the same way as my name. I'd like to think it is. And I'm going to go ahead and use that interpretation. But in any event, there was a really cool visual setting up the whole Kevin has uh, is burning things and stealing matches where uh 
Mobius or Don finds the burnt action figure that looks a lot like one of the Minutemen from the TVA and asks the question, how did he get burned? Which brings us back to a lot of Minutemen being burned at the very end of the first episode in season one of Loki. Thought that was an interesting little Easter egg to, to throw in there or call back to the very first episode of the series. And then when Loki is under the guise of maybe potentially buying a Sea-Doo or jet ski, or at least that's what uh, that's what Don is assuming here. Loki gets to quote back to him that line about the jet ski or the Sea-Doo being a beautiful union of form and function. But nothing Loki is saying really makes any sense to Don because how could it? And Don is becoming increasingly alarmed and getting ready to potentially have to defend himself up until OB or AD walks through a time door. And for Loki, it's been mere moments, not for AD. He was the, he was working on this for 18 months. Oh, no, wait, 19, because there was he lost a little bit of time there, lost about a month there because he had to move out of his place because he lost his job and his wife left him. And so this cost uh, a lot, but also shows how time is working differently when, of course, you're in these TVA or TVA-esque operations. So I thought that was a funny little bit there. And also perfect timing for AD to show up and prevent uh, prevent a, a little scuffle maybe between Loki and Don that probably wouldn't have lasted very long anyway. But as they as Loki tries to explain everything that's happening, and now there's a little more credibility with Don because of what he just saw and Loki telling him, I know you from a place called the Time Variance Authority, explaining their friendship and also what he needs, that he needs Don to come with him. And he's talking about how he can't leave his boys, to which Loki promises that he can come back at any time. and It'll be like he never left. They would never know he was gone, except great point by Don here that he would know he was gone. But it really comes down to all existence is in danger and hey, as Don correctly uh, describes, Mobius is a is a pretty cool name, so he might as well try this out. And in this scene, the reason I love it so much is because it is Mobius or Don making the choice and knowing exactly what he's giving up. We know that Mobius in the TVA, the one who's only ever known or remembered his life in the TVA, we know he's been avoiding this. And there was always going to be some sort of scene where we saw this person shown his life and he was going to have to make a choice. But I, I think at least my assumption, if I was even aware that I was making an assumption, is it would be the Mobius from the TVA finally going and visiting his life. And that would have been great. And there's a great version of that scene that happens that way in some other branch timeline or countless other branch timelines. But the one we have in our timeline this is a better version of that. This is, in my estimation, a more meaningful version of that because it wasn't just about Mobius seeing his life outside the TVA. It was about him being attached to that life. And the Mobius who only remembered a life in the TVA could never have the same emotional attachment to that life on the timeline that Don actually does. The, the attachment could never be the same. Mobius would always be somewhat detached from it because he'd be looking at a life that he can't actually remember living or being a part of. So here's Mobius or Don with no knowledge or attachment to the TVA. That Now it's the reverse. He has no knowledge of attachment to memories of the TVA. He has every attachment, though, to his life in Cleveland with his sons, 
And that's the version who is choosing this mission. It's even more heroic that way because he's making this choice, knowing full well and being fully attached to everything that he's giving up. And the reason I would go ahead and still say it's heroic is I don't think the impact of that choice is lessened at all by seeing that his kids would be cared for because he kind of sees how the time loops back around and he's still present, even if he's sort of gone because things work differently and reality is not what he thinks uh, thinks it is. It's not lessened by any of that because it's not his conscious mind that would be staying behind and caring for them. He would be the one who, even if they never know he's gone, he will know he's gone. Uh, he will know he's gone. He will know that he's missing them. And I also don't think his choice is really reduced by the threat of if he doesn't do this, all of existence will end. You could argue that, and Sylvie makes a similar point later on in the episode, and maybe that's true in one specific moment, but with the choice being maybe under immediate duress, but it doesn't even feel that way to Don or Mobius when he makes this choice, because right now, the threat that Loki is describing is largely an abstract concept. It's not something that he can immediately see or react to. So he's still willing to make this choice to do the right thing on faith that it's that it is the right thing and it's what needs to be done. And also, it's a choice that theoretically he would continue to make because Loki's promise is he can come back at any point in time once this is done as if he never left, which means even if they get through the mission and they fix the temporal loom, they prevent the meltdown and the TVA lives on, well, at that point, Mobius and anybody else, in theory, could retire and leave the work to others to come in and fulfill roles in the TVA. So what do they do next if they prevent the temporal meltdown? If they can retire after that, but then they don't, what that means is they're making the choice. Every moment that they spend in the TVA after preventing a temporal meltdown is making that choice over and over again, making that sacrifice over and over again to fulfill the necessary purpose of the TVA and put that before what they miss from the lives that they left behind. And that goes for not just Mobius slash Dawn, but everyone, theoretically, in the TVA because Loki plans on offering them a choice on the role that they play. So really giving the character that choice in that setting from that perspective was absolutely the best way to construct this scene that we knew was coming and the way they executed it was so much better than I would have imagined. So credit to them for that. And obviously the actors, the writing on that, the direction, everything about it was was done just so incredibly well. Yeah, I I, I love all this because one, you're, you're getting uh, Loki is trying, you know, the great acting and chemistry between Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston. It's fantastic. I love all that. I love the fact that we're setting up the fact that <laughs> his boys are a little 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 out of control and you know he's and again he's just keeping that optimism going no matter they are what. their own little gods of mischief the fact that yeah. he that don is having to wrangle these two kids is, and also wrangling two brothers by the way um uh, wrangling ooh, that ooh. he is now in this now i'm talking myself into this that he's he's his own little domestic cleveland odin right here because mom is gone although this mom left not uh, what happened to friga in, in thor the dark world Mom is gone. There's the presumably older, more responsible brother who has to look after the more mischievous one. Like that, it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. So, to me, I loved all of this, and I, I just when Ob gets out of like the temporal, you know, or the the the, um, the temp pad. Oh my the, god, the I love the way it moves. 
Oh my god, it's so perfect. <laughs> like it, like it is so per. And like the acting, um, is so perfect. Like he's just the way he's like kind of huh. I, but he's still yeah. looking at it, like trying to like figure it out. Like, huh? I walked through. Okay, was, what if I do like, this? Curious, it's, but you know, also unfazed. Unfazed and keep keeps working. And yeah. I love that. Like, it's so perfect. I'm like, yes, it's oh god, it's well, brilliant. What did he tell us? He told us he never stops working. No, oh, see exactly. So it, it was, it was a per. I love this moment, and I love. I did again. I love him coming. Everything was a perfect, um, you know, combination here. Again, like the. I love showing him that you know he can always come back. It's on a loop again. The whole loop comes back from the previous beginning of the episode to come feed us, you know, come full circle. No pun intended. Uh, for this, it's it's really is. It's using everything to your advantage and you're not wasting time for the sake of just having a cool moment. It does have a purpose. And I like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess in theory, him leaving there creates a branch where he never comes back or comes back at infinite branches where he comes back at different points. But you know what? I'm not going to get into that. All that time travel stuff. Exactly. Um, As far as his understanding of it and the choice he makes, I think it really speaks to who Mobius is, who Don is how they are different, but also how they are very, very, very much the same and gets when he has a chance to make a choice, he makes the heroic choice. Not that it would have been unheroic, not that he could have made the choice to just be there for his kids, but it just adds to that sacrifice and making it a conscious choice for Mobius and and Don. It just it really means so much for the character and it was greatly appreciated. Fantastic job on that scene. So then with Mobius signed up, Loki finishes the recruitment with B-15 and Casey, although that happens very quickly. When I mentioned maybe giving this episode another minute or two, this is really where I could have used it. I know it runs the risk of being repetitive, of Loki having to make the case of why someone should give up their life, but I feel like there are enough versions of that scene to go ahead and give B-15 a smaller version of that. I know you don't necessarily want to do it three times in a row, with Mobius, B-15, and Casey, but I also think B-15 with the arc that she's had throughout these two seasons would have been nice as opposed to just seeing her automatically on the team because I felt like there would have been some hesitation. I mean, we didn't even see her really get to talk to Loki because she only saw him slip in and out when we flash back to her New York, New York 2012 branch timeline earlier in the episode. So it would have been nice to really see what she chose and why, and you could certainly argue that there could have been another version of that for Casey and find some way to make it uh, different for each of them. But I would have liked that to be fleshed out a little more, but I also understand why they didn't and why they kept it moving. So as everybody gets together and um, there's no, uh, there's no automat with the pie, but there is hot chocolate that Mobius or Don can sip on much bigger mug there uh, than what they have with the little cups at the TVA. But in any event, there is one more that they're missing. Loki observes that being Sylvie, I don't know, Paul, for me, I was thinking two more. Timely was there also, um, but I guess he wasn't there at the very end right before the meltdown. So they didn't necessarily need him mm-hmm. right at that spot. They can go ahead and collect him uh, a little bit later, but presumably they still need him or maybe maybe they're not going to send him out to be the one to successfully launch the throughput multiplier. Maybe now that they have the machinery, it'll be somebody else's job. We'll have to see how that goes presumably in the finale but Loki catches up with Sylvie and she is aware she is the first person who actually remembers Loki but that totally makes sense I mean she would have to 
It's not yeah. like Loki found her as a child on Asgard. He found her in Broxton, Oklahoma, 1982, which only happens after everything that she had been through with the TVA and killing He Who Remains. So, and obviously Loki was a part of that journey with her. So it totally makes sense that she would remember him. Maybe there's more to it than that, but I also just think the mechanics of how all of this played out explains why Sylvie would be an exception compared to uh, compared to the others. But as they're having this conversation, and we also see, by the way, the McDonald's bag that she puts on her truck, uh, we see that fading away and spaghettifying a little bit. So we know that there's trouble here on these branch timelines. But as they're having the conversation, it looks like Loki is about to time slip and he doesn't. And you could just say he slipped there and then slipped immediately back. But it kind of looked to me like he blocked it and which would be an indication that his control of time slipping is advancing. But Loki has clearly been through hell. So Sylvia is ready to buy him a drink. They head to the bar where we see a Zaniac arcade game. So an adaptation of uh, of Bradley's film now in arcade video game form as we see it here. And uh, there's also more of the audio from the game. If you stick around to the very end of the credits of this episode, there's no mid or post credit scene, but there is a really fun piece of audio from the game. You died, insert your coin, loser, uh, was awesome. So love that little piece from the Zaniac game. But then we get to have a continuation of the conversation. And I, I say continuation, not a repeat. When we look at the debate, the, con- the philosophical debate, the conversation that Loki and Sylvie have been having, throughout the entirety of the, of the series, but especially the conversation that began with the season one finale and that we've seen additional installments of, it really does progress. And now it has an opportunity to progress in a different context. And it's different from each of their perspectives because Loki sees this as now we can rebuild the TVA with everybody who signs up actually having a choice as to whether or not they sign up. And how many of them, knowing all that they know, if they're given all of the information, how many of them would choose to stay in the TVA? Sylvie points out her argument of how that doesn't necessarily sound like a choice if it's something where it's up against the, you know, all of existence and whether or not that gets to continue. And then we really progress to not just the the broader conversation of what this means for everyone, but what does it mean for them specifically and what's motivating them in this conversation that they've been having, Sylvie wants a life. She wants to live. And she feels like she deserves that. She feels like everyone deserves that. So it's for her specifically, but not just at, not just for her. And obviously she can relate to that point because that's been her experience is not being able to live, not being able to have a life to basically hide amongst death with all of those annihilation events that she was there and a part of all uh, those apocalyptic events that she had to hide in so that the TVA wouldn't find her. So now she finally wants to just live. And what does Loki really want? And Sylvie does a great job of getting Loki to drill down and focus on that. He wants to save everything. He wants to save the TVA. But why? 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 Why does he want that? Because he doesn't. He wants his friend back. He wants his friends back. Why? Because he doesn't want to be alone. And so moments after Loki was saying that Sylvie was being selfish for wanting to live, Sylvie points to, well, there's some selfish motivation for you there as well in not wanting to be alone. And Loki, as he's continuing to examine this for himself, asks uh, an, an even more meaningful question or just as meaningful question about himself of without them, where do I belong? And then Sylvie challenges him to go and write his own story. Also, he served a drink that disappears. So everything is unraveling. And this scene, Paul, 
I know it's broken record or record turning into spaghetti, whatever. Uh, I know that's what uh, that's what's happening here. But in my estimation, Paul, this just continues to get better and better as they continue this conversation. The nature of choice and free will and the TVA's role in that, if it should have any role at all. And should they, Mobius, B-15, Casey, should they have a choice now? Can they have a choice? Is it really a choice with all of existence under threat? I would argue that it is, or at least it could be, as I said, after the immediate threat of the temporal meltdown is resolved. But also at the same time, it's not the kind of thing where the show has to give a clear answer because these are concepts and ideas that have been philosophical debates for as long as human beings have been capable of having philosophical debates. And maybe I'm leaning more towards uh, more towards Loki's side, but that's also because I'm seeing a whole lot of spaghettification that needs to go away. And here it is, though, right now, fueling this debate or adding new context to it is Loki seeing things falling apart or feeling like they're going to. Or And meanwhile, Sylvie is looking at this as because she's not seeing her McDonald's bag go away or the shot glass that goes away. Here it is. Life is continuing without the TVA. So it seems like everything is okay from her perspective, even though we as an audience get to know that it's not. And also, it is okay to be selfish at times. There's nothing wrong with Sylvie wanting to live a life. There's nothing wrong, by the way, with Loki wanting his friends back. And there's nothing wrong with Loki not wanting to be alone. But the challenge here for Loki is figuring out who he is. Not just where do I belong without them, but who am I without them? To your point at the beginning of the show, Paul, talking about when he's all by himself at the TVA, when you're all alone, who are you? And that being maybe the, the purest answer that you can have, if you could find some way to answer that question. So where do I belong and who am I? Effectively, the same question for Loki, at least in this context. And really, when we think about Loki, he has constructed his identity in relation to others. A son of Odin or Laufey, a son of Frigga, a brother of Thor, a king of Asgard, a would-be king of Midgard, and an aspirational king of space, going back to Mobius's line from the first episode, all of that went away. His family went away. Any hope of becoming king or taking over the, all the ruling that he wanted to do, all of that went away. And then it was a new identity of Loki of the TVA, Loki of the Time Variance Authority. Mobius's friend, B-15, uh, B-15's friend, becoming a friend to Obi and Casey, becoming a friend or more to uh, Sylvie, who was initially an adversary, kind of like Mobius was initially an adversary. So now, after all he's been through, after this entire literal, physical, but then also emotional journey that Loki has been on throughout this whole series, everything he's been through, all the ways that he's grown, after all of that, who is he now? Take away all of the things that he used to try and construct his identity or his sense of who he was. All of that's gone. So just who are you? What can you do? What will you do? Those are the questions for Loki that challenge him throughout this episode, but also fuel his big breakthrough, again, emotionally and in the plot uh, in this episode. Just an, an incredible scene to really force Loki to examine these questions about himself, these essential questions about himself. Yeah, I, I again the broken record. You're you're totally right, and I I love where it, it keeps building off the conversation. It's never, it feels like they're just continuing the same. They're continuing their their argument, not argument, but their discussion, 
and it's not a rehash of it. We're we're just saying the same same things about it. It's great, but it feels like they always pick up where they leave off. Yep, and and I think that's perfect. Again, that's attention to detail yeah. in the writing, and you're not re. It yeah. never feels yeah, like they're it's not a rehash. repeating it. They're advancing it. Exactly, and I think that's really key here. And that's why I think we all are loving it because every time they have this conversation, every time it evolves, the the stakes are evolving too. And and that Sylvie doesn't know it yet. And again, we're we're getting the whole like I think you bring up a great point. It's not it's not always wrong to be selfish. It's wrong when you sell you you're selfish and you sacrifice your loved ones as a result of it. That's where it gets wrong. You know, and on a regular basis to a yeah. detriment. Or if you're entirely selfish. I mean, look at the mm-hmm. look at the arcs for Steve Rogers and Tony Stark, right? For Tony, mm-hmm. it was laying down on a wire, it was making the sacrifice play. For Steve, it actually was being selfish. It actually was, hey, I've done all these things that I needed to do. I've done everything that was asked of me, expected of me, and so much more. I do need to learn how to eventually do one thing for myself, and that's what he does at the end of Avengers Endgame. So that is part of it, you know, the doing what you need to do for yourself, but also being there and being of service to others. Like that's part of being a a fully formed person or as guardian God. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the thing about it where it's it's really, really a special show is that these are these are gods. And then we were forgetting that whole aspect of it. And I don't it's not in a way where we uh it's undermining it and it's it's just forgetting it and, and ignoring it it doesn't doesn't matter at this point and i think that's what's so crazy and then that's why i think that um they, they, they uh, i'm sorry the writer's name again i'm, I'm really bad at names eric martin he's done such a phenomenal job of again not take taking i think what makes these characters uh special on a sense of like fantastic uh the fantastical element mm-hmm. and that's the most least interesting thing about them at this point and that is that takes a lot well and have challenging them with the responsibilities and the conversations of being gods as we saw with the debate uh previously also though with all of the flaws and all of the emotional sensitivities and all of the emotional questions that humans ask themselves that they have they have to be both they have to be gods and serve as gods in some way while also having to solve their own very human uh, issues and needs. Yeah. And I think this is where I would say is, was, is really cool is that the reason why we're not, I think that I, I just forget that they're gods. And we kind of, again, we talked about the previous seasons is that the stakes are even above them. Like, yeah. The universe is crumbling. So they are rendered useless. That whatever power they have is 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 gone. And, and that's what's so fascinating about this that they've created a, a a place where even the most powerful people like Loki and, and Sylvie, they're because again, look at the previous episode, right? Or the, I'm sorry, previous episode, previous season. You know, things are are uh, the, the whole uh, pruned universe is all one crazy, fantastical, you know, gateway, mm-hmm. you know, whereas this is like it's all imploding in on of itself and they are they are powerless against it. They are basically as equals with Obi, Mobius, B-15. Right. You know, Casey, that's what's so crazy about and, and having them in this moment here 
in talking about free will and everything, it's just it's always fascinating to think about how yeah they were you know Loki mentions that they're gods, but they're not going to have not anything to rule, but they're not going to have anything. Their 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 existence is going to be gone, and Sylvia doesn't really believe it. She's just like it is. It's not my problem, which we'll obviously get to here in a few sure. moments. Well, and and how could she know, right? Because exactly he's, he. He's telling her the TVA is gone, but she's also saying because she's not observing what uh, a few small little pieces that have that have faded to nothing uh, around her. The TVA is gone, as Loki tells her, and they're still here. So from that theory, (laughs) along those lines, from that logic, it would seem that everything is okay. We just know as the audience because we're seeing it. We are clearly seeing that everything is not okay, but we also understand from Sylvie's perspective, let's give this a shot before we just assume this can't work. And, and well, she does give it a shot and very clearly it, it doesn't work. So Loki goes and reports back that everybody should go home. He's not really sure now because of questioning who he is and, and what he wants and why he was doing this. Even Loki is kind of doubting himself a little bit. Is this mission really necessary? Is it really necessary for everyone? Or is it just really necessary for me? And I've convinced myself that it's for the greater good in order to feed my own selfish need. And that's certainly something that Loki has done before. That's along the same lines that convinced him that he needed to rule and that he needed to be a king of something, of anything that he could be a king of. So Loki's back in the space of wondering just how much he's grown and and just, how, just who he really is. Um, so that moment of doubt is there for him. Meanwhile, Sylvie is hanging out at the uh, at the record store listening to Oh Sweet Nothing by Velvet Underground. Interested to hear your your thoughts on the music. That's the one thing I did see from your reaction on on social, Paul. But uh, in mm. any event, in this scene, um, she's just listening to the record. Lyle is there, owner of the record shop. And then we see somebody come in, but not finish entering the store because they turn to spaghetti. And then everything starts turning to spaghetti even poor Lyle as he is running and reaching out to Sylvie. And then she watches this world, this branch timeline collapsing into itself or spaghettifying into itself. She does still have a temp pad on her. Remember, she has the one from He Who Remains. So she is able to escape, but she escapes with the realization that there is no refusing this. And as far as the immediate necessity of the TVA, all the other questions about what role the TVA is going to play and how they go against it, all of those questions still need to be sorted out. All of those questions still need to be debated. But as far as the immediate need for the TVA, because of the consequences of this temporal meltdown, whatever is causing this spaghettification, be it the lack of existence of the TVA or a fail-safe mode in the TVA or he who remains or whatever, the only way they can think of to stop it from happening is to get back to that moment before the temporal meltdown. So there is no refusing this mission for uh, for Sylvie. And I just have to say that it is, it continues to be this terrifyingly trippy visual, the way all of, all of these spaghettification looks, especially with when we see the very end for, for poor Lyle, who's just offering free listening in his record store and uh, unfortunately doesn't make it out of there before uh, everything that happens. Although maybe he'll come back with the time slipping Loki does at the end. But Sylvie is now with the rest of the group on that branch timeline, presumably somewhere in 1994 or 18 to 19 months after that in the lab of AD slash OB, and she points out that everything is falling apart, the branches are dying, they do have to go back and prevent that temporal meltdown. All they need is a temp pad, 
which appears to have uh, seems to have disappeared. They think it's because Casey took it to rob bank vaults or Frank did. Nope, that's not what happened. It just disappeared. And so does Frank slash Casey. And then OB realizes it was a fiction problem. And then he's gone too. He's turning into spaghetti. And then Don, whose last thought is to get to his boys, he's gone. And then B-15 or Dr. Willis is next. And then even Sylvie is gone. So Sylvie, who was able to remember who Loki was, and remember what the TVA was, is not exempt from what's happening here. And Loki won't be either, or potentially may not be either, except for he finally, at that moment, when he absolutely needs to, is able to literally pull it all back together. First, just to bring Sylvie back, and then beyond that, He's able to control the time slipping because it's not about who, what, when, or it is about who. It's not about what, when, where, or why. It's about who. And as Loki says, he can, or he says, quote, I can rewrite the story, end quote. And then he time slips himself right back to that moment in the TVA. And we see OB as we know him to look inside the TVA. OB, not AD. And so for Loki pulling it back together, it's even the last thing he hears before he pulls it all back together. That line from uh, from the first season of, do you think what makes a Loki a Loki is that we're destined to lose? Well, at that moment, he pulls it all together with that issue, that question of what makes a Loki a Loki, which is now a question of who is this Loki? Well, whoever he is, not that that can all be summed up in one word or one sentence, he is the person as far as who this Loki is, he is the one who can rewrite this story. He can rewrite who he is. He can decide who he is, regardless of he may still have some selfish motivations because everyone does, but it doesn't mean he was wrong to want what he wanted. He was the right person making the right decision, who in this case was standing up for what he knew and what he believed to be true in his heart of what was necessary for the TVA and what was necessary not just for him to have friends, but was necessary for everyone he can rewrite who he is, and he knows he can because, and he can rewrite the story because that's what he's been doing. He's been in the process of rewriting who he is this entire series from the first season up until now and continuing beyond this point in season two with the finale on the way. He can rewrite who he is. He can rewrite the story of the TVA. And yes, there are still several questions about what all of this means. But as we gain some clarity here in this installment, in this chapter, this show, Paul, just keeps getting better and better. And from one week to the next, it excels in just about every way that it can. It excels in the acting, in the craftsmanship of everybody who is putting together the things that we are seeing on screen on this show. It excels as character study. It excels with thematic exploration. It excels in just plain storytelling. It is destined to be a well-respected and thought-provoking series because that is what ha- that is what it has been this entire time. For the record, uh, Velvet Underground song is pretty standard. Uh, I would have went with uh, What Goes On, which is my favorite uh, Velvet Underground album, self-titled. Um, Pale, you know, Pale Blue Eyes, great, great song too. I- I'm a Velvet Underground fan. I'm not as much a Lou Reed fan as solo material, but I get a lot of crap for that. But I digress. Uh, that was a very interesting take. I do like the fact that, you know, the the one cool thing, of, and I can sympathize with uh, the record store owner, owner because 
You know, she's like, why aren't you home? So I like it here better. And I, I can understand that in the, t- in the days of physical media were the only ways of obtaining these things when you're surrounded by all this different music that you, you know, you can't all bring home with you. The variety is, is, a. As a music person myself, I can I can sympathize and real I can I can understand that whole idea. I, I love the scene because it really does it shows you that she's she's found her niche, she's found her passions of of what she's doing in life, and all this post conversation with Loki, the world is crumbling around her. You bring into question what this is where your selfishness will get you, and I like that how. She's real. She she has no choice, right? Like right. that's the thing about it. She has no choice. She late waited to every last second, and how everything. It just. I really again commend the visual def- effects thing. The whole spaghetti thing that you know Obi is talking about. It's all coming true, but it's also like, scary now it at is. this point. And and that's what's so crazy is that you know. We, you know, Obi, like, again, lures us in this false sense of security of it's, it's, uh, it's spaghetti. Aha, funny. No, no, no. It's actually kind of insane and, and crazy how it's it's going. It's terrifying when you see it coming. You know, when Lyle sees what's happening, as Sylvie sees what's happening, B15, like, is this it? Like, this is it. And it's happening. Like, we've had to watch B15 now two weeks in a row, just staring her demise in the face. And I mean, we've seen it for a number of these characters with the temporal meltdown, but, it is it is a terrifying visual but and i also think for for sylvie i mean i i love that this was her life outside of the tva when she thought all of that was done i I love that she just wanted a a simple job and a simple time at mcdonald's no no huge ambition there. not trying to be a movie star like bradley x5 or whatever just wants to be able to go to work go home maybe swing by the record store and listen to some music on the way home. That's how simple and that's how simple her life is, which when you frame her life that way, it doesn't really look that selfish. It's not like she's trying to hold on to a whole lot of great material goods for herself or anything like that. She's not trying to cling to some riches or some power. She just wants to exist and be free to exist as she sees fit which is a very simple want for her to have. And it's not wrong for her to to want that. And what happens here isn't punishment. It's just these are the circumstances. And the theory that you had that everything would be fine without the TVA, well, it's not. And now they do have a problem that they have to go fix and they have the opportunity to go fix it. But that's where I, and when I mentioned before, these uh, the questions that are still going to be there well, first off, they're going to have to figure out how they prevent the temporal meltdown. But then provided that they do and they are able to save the TVA and it does have a chance to continue to exist, then there's a whole lot of questions of what they do about it, what they do about it for the sake of the TVA as a broader concept. But also every individual has a choice to make of now that the TVA is here and it can operate, what do we do? Does Sylvie at that point, once the TVA is theoretically safe does she want to go back to Broxton Oklahoma choose a different life or stick with the TVA same thing for uh, B15 slash Dr. Willis same thing for Casey slash Frank Mobius slash Dawn we already kind of know what which direction Loki would lean and what he would want to do once the TVA is is back and it's uh, and it is in a safe place because once it's in a safe place presumably there is the opportunity for people to leave and have others take over um, with whatever those duties were supposed to be as an analyst, as a judge, 
I don't think they'd be hunters anymore. Whatever the TVA needs to do, protectors, uh, whatever role they play in the TVA. So those choices are still there for those characters, and those debates are still there to be had. But obviously, the immediate necessity of the mission won out right here for Sylvie. But the way this is all framed and the way Loki ultimately controls the power, the way he gains that power with time slipping and the way he ultimately is able to harness and control that, the key to that being unlocking his own sense of self and who he is at a in a series that made him doubt who he was, that called into question everything that he had imagined himself to be, positioned himself to be when uh, that Tesseract fell into his lap again after the Battle of New York. Having that re having him be reshaped and then questioning who he is and ultimately having the resolve to push through and maybe start to have an answer of who he is and what he actually and and what he wants and actually kind of liking who he is and accepting who he is and letting that be his power is just it's such a beautiful piece within the storytelling, uh, such an incredibly well executed character arc. And going back to that point you made at the top of the show, Paul, and, and obviously I'm in complete agreement with you about Eric Martin and his future in the MCU. This is the kind of stuff that I have always felt is the MCU at its best. The MCU at its finest are these deeply fulfilling character arcs where you can track how we got there. And really, it's the a journey, in a challenging journey with moments of progress, moments where these characters regress, that two steps forward, a step back, these complicated journeys that these characters go on and who they are at the other side on the other side of it and how that's different from where they started not that we're even at the end of Loki's journey now but we're certainly in a very different place now than we were when this show started and we can go back along the way and really know full well and be fully invested in each moment of how we got to this point because we are along for the ride of Loki discovering who he is because we are still discovering who Loki is or who this Loki mm-hmm. is. It's beautiful character work. It's beautiful storytelling. It works so incredibly well. And so whatever other characters uh, Eric Martin wants to get his hands on, I am all for it. Yeah, I, I think you're, you nailed it here. I, I think we're just, I love you saying we're, we're discovering who Loki is as he is. And there is a really special, special thing to do that and after again season one did a lot of deconstructing in a really positive really awesome like creative way that you know eric martin has has done wonders with in season two and it's been really impressive to go you know because that because i love tom tom hiddleston's original loki you know i mean i I don't want to i don't want to absolutely I don't want to think, you know, say like this is a be- no. It's not better. It's a different. Again, I love brings- King of Space Loki and I love TVA Loki. I love them all. Ex- exactly. Well, thank you. And I think that's the thing about it is that it's a really it's it's a really cool way. The multiverse people it gets a lot of hate right now. You know, obviously South Park's making jokes about it. Everyone wants to poke phone, you know poke things at it, and it can it's easy target, right? But the the way you can tell stories with it, it can be really special. And I think that No Way Home's a great example of that. I think Loki season two is a phenomenal way you could, you know you could look at it as well. Example of what you can do with it. I think He Who Remains episode six of Loki season one. That's a phenomenal thing you can do with it. I mean, there's so many great things mm-hmm. you can do with this uh, multiverse aspect that people. Yes, it's it can be very lazy. You know, and, and that's with any like comic book or movie, TV show. It doesn't matter what medium it is. It could be a very lazy tool device, you know, a story device, you know. 
But the thing is, Eric Martin has done a phenomenal job this season. I really, I hope he sticks to landing. Sounds like he's going to. I've loved every episode of this season. And I just, and even though we don't get like an eventful, like you said at the beginning of the show, or maybe before the show we recorded, Sean, this is not a, a, an action-packed episode. It is a very slow burn. But it, like we said before, it's not rehashing. It's building off of the conversations previously. Yep. And I think it's, it, it's a true testament to the writing and Eric Martin should be, you know, Kevin Feige's, you know, n- you know, next Marcus McFeely and getting him in there and getting him, get working on these stories because, and, and creating these, these, these new temples, because I think he's earned it with this series and episode five is a great example of it. Yeah. Unless he doesn't want to do anything else, which is also fine. That would be to, that would be the MCU's loss for sure. But uh, if he's up for it, would love to have him continue being, a central creative voice in MCU stories, at least some of them, because he does, he's done such an incredible job throughout this series. And, and I love what you said about you know, the MCU kind of as a whole and talking about the multiverse saga, because I'm not here to, to paint over everything and say that everything with the MCU has been just as consistently great as it always was. But I also think if we go back through it and not just the revisionist history of Maybe a couple 2022 movies or series weren't uh, weren't as great as everyone hoped, and maybe Quantum Mania was a disappointment for many and Secret Invasion. But that doesn't mean we just gloss over the success stories of the MCU post Endgame, from so many things that people loved in 2021 to stuff like uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three just this year, or for the people who are watching Loki season two, seeing great stories told each and every week in these episodes. And just like the great MCU stories that uh, are part of the Infinity Saga, when we see these special stories, it's not be it's not in spite of the MCU. It's because of the MCU, not just because of the MCU. Obviously, most of the credit goes to the, the actual storytellers themselves, but many of those storytellers are people who are with Marvel Studios full-time or people who love to come in and collaborate with Marvel Studios on various projects. And Loki is another example of when it's great, it can really and it, it can still be something really, truly special because that's what Loki season two has been, including this episode. And I just can't wait to see how they finish this, how they how it all culminates and how they bring it to a close, at least for this season. I don't know if there are going to be more seasons of Loki or where it's going to go from here, I have no idea. I know we get one more episode, and I just can't wait to see it, because if it's anything like this entire season has been, this series has been, it's going to be something really great, something truly special, and again, part of that well-respected, thought-provoking series. So that is where we will go ahead and wrap up this edition of MCU Fan Show. We invite you to check out Fan Show Plus for more Loki coverage and more MCU coverage, including breaking down that Crisis at Marvel article in Variety at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber or via Apple Podcast subscriptions. You can find those episodes and subscribe right in the same Apple Podcast feed where you're finding episodes of MCU Fan Show, just like this one. Make sure you follow along at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter. Paul, where can they find you? 
can find me on X, formerly Twitter, at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, go please uh, go subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Comic Binge, where we just recently talked about The Killing Joke, which I asked a question to everyone, is The Killing Joke bad? And you get that answer at the end of the show. We got a great, great, great breakdown of that comic and uh, the importance of that comic and maybe not so much importance of that comic. So... It's uh, I thought it was a great episode, and uh, also I'll be on the Batman Book Club all month for one bad month, uh, aka one bad day of breakdowns, which are the latest DC comics that came out for all the villains. Uh, that were, the Killing Joke was kind of the inspir- main inspiration of. It's a whole long story, but anyway, uh, that started off today, so you can get the Riddler episode by Tom King, um, which was phenomenal. I'll just say it right now. It's phenomenal. Go check it out. Uh, fun show. That all starts today, and uh, yeah, appreciate everyone who's already done that. And you can follow me on Instagram, Threads, and X, formerly Twitter, at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll see you next time.